you and me and BPD. Season four, episode six, JDM Psychology with Carly. Hi, in today's episode, um, I have a very special guest on. Um, We're going to be having a conversation about JDM psychology and uh, executive dysfunction. And Carly is here. Carly, if you want to just quickly say hi. Hi. (laughs) Uh, So Carly reached out to me on Instagram. And um, I think it was like June-ish that we started talking and planning this episode. And Carly has been great in terms of figuring out how we want this episode to go and everything. Um, so I really appreciate you being here, Carly. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to join you. Amazing. Um, so tell people just a little bit about who you are, what um, kind of what got you into this and kind of why you wanted to have this conversation. Sure. So my name is Carly. I am a judgment and decision-making expert. So that's what JDM is, judgment and decision-making psychology. And so I work with clients as a life and health coach. And also I am a consultant for individuals and businesses in the healthcare space. So I'll explain a little bit more about that, what that means as we talk. But in general, you can think of me as someone who helps improve your quality of life and align your decisions with reality to make you more successful and able to take control of your own health and life. So I have a didactic medical education background in judgment and decision-making psychology, that's Mm -hmm. the JPM, from Mm -hmm. an Ivy League university. But um, I, um, oh, and so the background in judgment and decision-making is from Penn, and then a didactic separately medical education. Um, And then importantly, I also have a borderline personality diagnosis. And so I've experienced a lot of treatment modalities like DBT and life lessons that really influence my work. Amazing. So one of the things that I often do with, you know, people on this podcast is we talk a little bit about the diagnosis process. We talk about kind of what you first noticed, some of the things that kind of led you to your diagnosis. So um, I know in our conversations, you mentioned that it happened around college. That's when you first kind of started exploring your mental health. So can you take us through kind of what led you to a BPD diagnosis? Like what were some of the symptoms that you experienced? Anything you can remember from that time? Sure. So yeah, in college is when I really started seeking mental health treatment, but I started seeing, so I've always been a really anxious person, like Mm -hmm. in my childhood. And then when I was a junior in high school between my junior and senior year summer i was really really exhausted and tired so i started having some depression symptoms to the Mm -hmm. point where yeah to the point where my parents thought i had mono actually they thought i was physically sick because i was so tired all the time but then i got to college and so i started seeing some mental health professionals i always recommend to individuals that they seek help um, in their undergraduate education from their counseling and psychological services because that's what really helped me they were really absolutely amazing um, at penn as far as taking care of my mental health and helping me get to this diagnosis mm-hmm. but, but then it wasn't really until medical school when I really started making those connections to say, oh, this is borderline personality disorder. 
I got a more formal diagnosis and I started BPD specific treatment in DBT in medical school way back now in like 2014 is when I first started DBT. And I've been doing that off and on since because it's, it's just so helpful. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I had a similar experience. I got diagnosed in my second year of undergrad. Um, oh. And I, it was exactly the same. I reached out to my university and I reached out to their kind of social services. And I said, can I talk to someone? Um, and it was through them that they referred me to a diagnostic person, right? Like, um, like a psychiatrist who worked for the school who said, hey, have you ever heard of borderline personality? Let's look into it. Let's do a kind of more formal diagnostic. Um, so I think that's, that's really interesting. Um, did you find that it impacted your time in school at all? Like when, when you kind of, <clears throat> when you kind of first got this diagnosis, how did that feel to you? Was it scary? Was it overwhelming? Yeah. So that's really interesting because we have this shared experience where our undergraduates were really supportive of our mental health. And so that mm -hmm. was really the case for me. So I did take some time off when I was an okay. undergraduate, but the school was really supportive and really helped me get through my courses. And so I, I sort of studied psychology si simultaneously with my courses because I figured two birds, one stone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't be sick and do college all at the same time. So I kind of combined them. But when I was in in medical school and you'd think they would be more supportive in medical school because they understand like medicine yeah. and health specifically it's actually the, the exact opposite so I, I reached a lot of stigma in medical school mm -hmm. um, the treatment there was not as available Mm -hmm. um, I also took leaves of absence during my medical school, but some of them were kind of forced upon me and really were not appropriate for my mental yeah. health at the time. So that was kind of just really debilitating. And then like I found sometimes my medications and my treatments were almost just as debilitating as for my school performance as the diagnosis, diagnosis itself. So yeah. coming off and on medicines and things like that were really challenging while I was in school. And then um, like hallmark of borderline are going to be those unstable relationships. And so mm -hmm. that really affected my time in school. I also had some addiction comorbidities uh, um, concurrent with that. So okay. I was yeah. drinking at times, um, which I don't drink anymore um, or rarely do. Yeah, yeah. So, But when you're doing that when you're in school, it's just really untenable. So it was yeah. challenging. Yeah, I mean, that's so interesting because we, we didn't really talk about that, but I also don't drink. Um, and I, it's it was a decision that was made out of like me drinking too much <laughs> and me realizing that you know, drinking wasn't a good idea for me and it just made me feel worse about myself and made my mental health worse. Um, so I know we never, we never talked on that like in our planning, but that was yeah. just- Yeah. Um, I'm happy that came up for sure. <laughs> yeah, cause I have, I mean, I've done episodes before where I've talked about addiction and stuff. Um, and I talked about, I used to have a really bad shopping addiction and that was kind of how I fed, you know, the dopamine part of my brain that really wanted Right. It was like a kind of finding myself through like buying clothes um, and reinventing who I was and stuff. Um, 
so it's it's just it's interesting it just kind of sparked that <laughs> yeah that commonality and you're completely <laughs> right because that's how addictions kind of work so mm-hmm. there's actually morphological differences in our brains that mm-hmm. lead to some of these addictive behaviors but also you're absolutely right and this is how i like to explain it to people like uh like it some some people are a little um, challenged and like have difficulty being open about talking yeah. about that, which is amazing that you are, and I like to be too, because really it's just drinking and I don't get along, and that's okay. Yeah. So yeah. and I and when I embrace that, like things got so much better in my yeah, life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I understand. Uh, so that was kind of in the past, and do you find that you still? I mean, obviously, there's research behind BPD as you grow older, as you learn more skills, it becomes easier to manage. But do you find that you still struggle with some aspects of BPD in your everyday life, like in your business or even in your interpersonal relationships? I do. And that's really interesting that you say that because my symptoms have certainly gotten better as I've gotten older. Um, yeah. Not to minimize the experiences of, I, I was inpatient um, last year. And okay. so that's not minimizing the experiences of the, the many like 18, 19 year olds who were in there. Because when you're 18 or 19, and a little bit of a trigger, trigger warning here, when you're 18 or 19, that's when you're going to have more of a prevalence of um, like suicidal attempts yeah. and behavior. Yeah. But what's really interesting in borderline personality disorder is that there's, and, and there's like a 10% risk of uh, suicide, um, death by suicide. So it's really a serious, serious thing. But in in borderline personality disorder, you're really looking at suicide rates peaking um, when as far as completion of the suicide Mm -hmm. act in your 30s. And they've actually done a follow up study that that's closer to around 37 is when that peak. Oh, interesting. Okay, I didn't even know that. Yeah, a lot of people really don't, including clinicians, a lot of clinicians don't. And so it's sort of like, I was trying everything, everything, everything. I'm doing all this really good DBT Mm -hmm. work. I've been doing therapy for like 20 years. And it felt like, right, it feels like forever and it's still not working. So when you get that way and you're really frustrated and it's later in life, well, not that much later, we'll say 30s. Um, but, But like, as you're getting older, that, that problem still persists. And so mm-hmm. it kind of peaks with the suicidal behavior mm-hmm. in that later third decade of life. Yeah. Um, I really experienced that personally. And that was concurrent with my time in medical school. So that was like really debilitating at times. Yeah. And then, so explain a little bit how you got to your decision to study and focus on, you know, this decision, this judgment and decision-making psychology. Like what, what about that kind of piqued your interest or sparked this kind of wanting to learn more and wanting to focus in on this aspect? 
Yeah, absolutely. So that came from me being bad at decision making. <laughs> so I like I I have a tendency to kind of study at my problems, and so I like to right. So I like to learn what's going on with me, and I want to learn to improve. So I had the option in college of study of my concentration and my thesis, either being in there were open courses in positive psychology. Um, while I was registering for my research component, or it was going to be judgment and decision-making psychology, which I didn't know、okay. very much about at all at the time. And positive psychology was even pretty new at the time too. So I had to do a little, a little research and figure out what's going on.、Um, mm-hmm. And so I thought about it, and I said, positive psychology doesn't really sound authentic to me.、Um, yeah, yeah. As far as my personality,、um, I am very upbeat. But I like positive psychology felt a little forced for me, which is not、yeah. to say that positive psychology that's kind of reductionist. And so positive psychology has a lot of values, and I studied that a little bit now personally, and so I incorporate some of that into my philosophy too. But what I thought made more sense for me was this decision-making piece because I really crave systematic decision-making in a way that's more、um, makes sense and it's more regimented, and I'm. That's because I am so so emotional by nature, and so I crave sort of that opposite. And JDM really provides that structure and reason around decision making, and it kind of just makes things make sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it does make sense when it comes to the aspect of like BPD that is like the black and white thinking. You know,、mm-hmm. the kind of like wanting to be clear on. Certain things, wanting to,、yeah. I, I mean, in my like, I am also autistic, right? So for me, I have a lot of like clear cut, like this is how I'm doing something, and this is how it works, and that's it, right?、Um, and I kind of get into less of an emotional state and more of a systematic state of like. This is the way I'm always going to do something, and that is not necessarily the best. Decision as well, you know、right. that also caused some issues.、Um, Understandable. So a little bit more about how JDM works, like. Sure. <laughs> and like, and so that's that's a really important point that you're bringing up as far as how I blend JDM into the Wise Mind model of DBT thinking, and we can talk about that a little more later if you if, yeah if we have time. But it's really that balance of getting between the emotion and the reason.、Um, so kind of going into a little bit of what JDM is specifically, and kind of how it's applied to daily. Life,、um, so that's judgment and decision making psychology, and it really systematically studies the science of decision making using a utilitarian ap- approach. And so, by utilitarian, we're really thinking about balancing all factors. Like we're thinking about the greatest good. That's what utilitarian is about. Yeah. And it really focuses on the decisions we are making, sort of automatically. So those are called heuristics, and it looks at how we make systematic errors. In those decisions, and so those heuristics are really what you want to think of them are as are mental shortcuts. They're kind of a rule of thumb that work 
most of the time. And so, yeah, so like we need those heuristics. They allow us to problem solve and make judgments quickly and efficiently. Our brains are kind of constantly processing an enormous yeah. amount of information. So it's overwhelming. And so I, I can understand why what you're saying completely, you want to reduce these things into decisions that you can make every single time. These are kind of like that, but your brain's doing them automatically. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Otherwise, it would be completely overwhelming to have to make a new decision with a new approach every single time. And so as humans, we kind of love to categorize and we see patterns everywhere, um, whether they exist or not, but often they do. And so that's why heuristics are useful. Heuristics allow us to do this, finding the patterns and they save us time and energy. So when you're talking about this kind of like you mentioned emotion mind and like what i think you said wise mind mm -hmm. so what is kind of the difference between those is it basically the way that we react to things is it like uh whether we're triggered by things like how does that kind of um impact the way that we are in the world yeah, exactly. So a lot of people I talk to are in what we call emotion mind. And that's like a very DBT uh, terminology. And mm -hmm. when you think about it, though, think of like a Venn diagram. And that's the Venn diagram are those two circles with the overlapping middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On one side, you have that emotion mind. And when you're thinking in emotion mind, you're really thinking with your feelings. You're very mm -hmm. reactive. On the mm -hmm. other side of the, the other circle is your reason mind. And in there, you're thinking purely rationally and using reason and knowledge. And sometimes it's necessary to rely on emotions in some situations. And then in other situations, it might really require, require us to be in reason mind. Like if I'm in a surgery, I want to be in reason mind. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want to be operating in reason mind. So there's value to being re in reason mind. Um, and there's value to being in motion mind too. But for the most part, we're going to require our decisions are going to require us to use a combination of both. So our thinking needs to be somewhere in the middle. And that's not necessarily 50-50 reason mind and emotion mind. So a lot of people get yeah. so confused about that part in DBT. It can be skewed towards emotion mind and it's like 75-25 or something like that. But it's still wise mind that we're talking about when we're in that middle of where those two circles overlap. Um, mm -hmm. And that's combining emotion mind, combining reason mind into wise mind, where we're beginning to think really intuitively, we're thinking with balance, and we can live mindfully and use those mindfulness skills that we really gain in DBT. And when we take a step back and think in wise mind, we can begin to identify some of these cognitive biases that JDM sets out in order to avoid them or to correct them. Um, and so we can do that much more naturally and effectively. So is JDM kind of like, just based off of what I know about, you know, DBT and how it works, would it be kind of like recognizing when a thought appears and how it relates to a decision that you're making or like an action that you're going to take? Right. 
So JDM breaks that down in like a very systematic, specific way. Okay. Defining those heuristics, and so it's kind of like a really great add-on to that.、Um, so, like when you're doing like a chain link analysis or something like that、mm-hmm. in DBT, it's really useful to say what are my emotions, but and what are my feelings, and what are my thoughts, and what are my biases. So, what、mm-hmm. are those heuristics, and how can I be systematically making a, a mistake in my my thinking? And I don't mean mistake when when we're talking about like、um, non-judgmentalness, because you're not being judgmental about your mistakes. Non-judgmentalness is a how skill of DBT, and so non-judgmentalness is talking about how you. You don't want to make evaluative, kind of good, bad decisions yeah. about yeah, yeah. what you're talking about. Right. This is different. This is like, this is like saying, am I making some a, a decision that's effective and useful? And so it it takes in that effectiveness piece of DBT rather than saying judgmentally, oh no, I I was following a heuristic that's bad. No, we all follow heuristics. That's okay. But what we want to figure out is is that behavior useful or not?、Mm-hmm. Yeah. We get to the effectiveness. BT. So it sounds like it's a lot of self in like introspection. Like it sounds like there's a lot of kind of this. Awareness of your decisions and awareness of kind of your thinking and your patterns of thinking, and I feel like sometimes that can become a little bit overwhelming. Like, <laughs> do you ever, like, do you ever feel like, like I know for myself,、um, in the previous episode, I talked about you know executive functioning and executive dysfunction, and sometimes how if I'm trying to plan something or if I Want to do something, but then I feel overwhelmed by even just the thought of doing it. Then I just will stop, and I just won't do anything. And sometimes that brings me into problems where I go, I really need to do this, but even getting started is just causing me a lot of anxiety or feeling overwhelmed. Absolutely,、um, yeah, absolutely, and I get that way too. I I have <laughs> as well. And so I have an ADHD diagnosis. In addition to my borderline diagnosis, I've、uh-huh. like got a whole list of diagnoses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>、um, but one of them is ADHD. And so there's kind of this misnomer in、um, judgment and decision making, where when you're relying too much on heuristics, it's a sign of cognitive laziness. And I really don't like that term because it's it's not really laziness. It's that we're kind of neglecting to access those higher levels. Of thinking, and that can be for any reason. It can be because of a disorder, or it can be because de- the decisions are complex. And all of us kind of have a natural tendency to want to rely on these heuristics. And yeah. so, yeah, so like. It really does take some effort and planning sometimes to do like a chain link analysis, and so some formal assessment of how you're feeling. But when I'm feeling like that, like some of my executive dysfunction is getting in the way of doing that, what I really rely on are I I, I use a lot of spreadsheets and things like that. <laughs> okay. 
yeah, yeah. I live I live in in Google uh, Google like um, Drive and Google Sheets uh-huh. as well. So I make spreadsheets and so that way everything's out there for me to see and I don't it, it reduces the, the the burden of me having yeah. to hold that in my mind and, yeah. and and it's also a good distraction skill for me because it takes me away from like the thing that I'm ruminating on and it more formalizes it. So it hijacks a couple of DBT skills in the process. And so it's getting me into wise mind by doing that, by pulling me into the more reason, but it's also using distraction. And it's like, it's also kind of just self-soothing for me because I really like doing, like I like organizing things. So yeah. I think lists, lists are also kind of my, my big friend. Um, and then also, I found um so I keep a DBT diary card as well but I okay. also found that and that's a good way to use like habit tracker um, yeah, yeah, yeah habit trackers are amazing and so um observed behavior is often improved behavior mm. so if you're using a DBT diary card or you're just tracking even not saying good or bad but saying did I did I brush my teeth today because I've been that bad before where like yeah, yeah, I have yeah. not been able to brush my teeth, I haven't been able to get out of bed, I haven't been able to do anything. Just that simple like click the button is improving. It's you're more likely to do it the next day just by tracking it. Um, yeah. And then the other thing that I've really learned is going with the flow. Um, I am very type A, and so I had to figure out what's a realistic expectation for me, and that does not mean expecting less of myself, which was like really, really hard for me at first to say realistic expectations. I thought that meant downgrading myself or making it so I can't do anything. Mm-hmm. No, I can do absolutely anything. It's just, well, maybe I won't be an astronaut. But like, I can, I if, if I wanted to, and I don't have like a desire to, like I, I can go back to med school and do that now. I understand yeah. now. It just has to look different for me than it would yeah. for someone else. There's like the accommodations that you need to give yourself, right? Like you need right. to be able to recognize that maybe you're not going to be able to do everything like everybody else right like Mm -hmm. it's it's really it's really been interesting to kind of have especially when I get messages from people I'm like sometimes people will message me and be like I don't know how you do it like blah blah and I'm always like I don't know how either like trust me (laughs) I am also in this space like even just hearing you and talking about like the work that you do I don't know how you do it like how do you function on a day-to-day basis with this kind of this analytical mindset this want like you obviously work with other people so how do you balance you know your own kind of needs and understanding what those are while also being able to take on clients and being able to do this kind of teaching aspect of you know being so introspective and taking care of your own mental health. How, how do you do it, Carly? <laughs> <laughs> well, you make it sound like you make it sound complex, and, it, and I guess it kind of is. But when I break it down into smaller chunks, mm-hmm. it is much more manageable. I don't think about it like I am doing all these things. I think about it like I am 
um, preparing to meet with a client today. I yeah. am, I'm, I chunk it into small things and then they're more doable when they're each approached as individual tasks rather than saying, oh my God, I have so much to do. And like, I'm very busy. And I, and so I take those more realistic expectations of myself. And what that means is like spreading things out over more time, um, mm-hmm. making a schedule and saying, okay, I'm going to do this during this amount of time and I'm not going to spend more than two hours on it. And so Uh when you do that, it's actually research shows that you can, you're more likely to finish a task in your allotted amount of time and more quickly and efficiently when you specify the amount of time you're going to spend on a task. Uh So I cap it and I say, I'm going to put this much time on a task and then that's all I'm spending on it. And so you also automatically start doing some time management things during that frame to manage to that time. I also use when I'm doing that, especially a Pomodoro timer. And so that will automatically go off at a set time. And then it'll also track how long I'm taking for a break. So it'll say, Mm every 50 minutes the timer goes off and then it'll say now you have a 10 minute break i have to take that 10 minute break i make sure i am taking breaks and then the timer will go off again and i have to work for 50 minutes and so and then you have after every like four or five times you take a longer break you say oh okay okay. now i'm going to take my one hour break I'm going to eat something or I'm going to go for yeah. a walk. I make sure I exercise. Exercise is so important and sleep yeah. is so important. Sleep is so key to me. And so I was not sleeping well. I would take an exam after not sleeping for 24 hours. And that's the same when you don't sleep for 24 hours. That is the same as ha- impairment level as having a 0.1 blood alcohol level, which is above the legal limit. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's, it's definitely really hard. Yeah. And I'm trying to take tests doing that. And it's just like, no, that doesn't make any sense. So I found that prioritizing myself is what really works. And if I don't do it, that it's like that, that old kind of like, um, explanation when you're putting your, um, your life mask on first, first, mm-hmm. yeah. Down, I, I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Every time I heard that, no, that's real. <laughs> like I put my own life mask on or my own ga- uh, air mask on first yeah, yeah. before anyone else's now. And that has made all the difference. That's so interesting. Like everything, it's so interesting that you're talking about taking all these breaks because I know myself that like, I don't do that enough. And mm-hmm. even when I do, it's like not an actual restful break. It's like a quick, I need to get this done before I can go back to whatever I'm doing. Like it's, it's so interesting to hear you talk about that. Um, just for my own, <laughs> my yeah, own life. I, know I, do. I actually, so there's a free app that I use. I know it works on Apple phones and also my, my Mac. Um, okay. but it's called flow timer, but there are a lot of Pomodoro timers out there. If you look them up, yeah. you have like Google phones and things like that. So I use that. And one of the things that's great about it, and, and you can find apps that'll do this. It'll like take up my whole screen 
And so oh, okay. break, mm-hmm. and then it'll count down that break for me. And so it's actually like, no, you're forced to take this break. <laughs> um, and then I can put it on my phone if I don't want it to take up my whole screen or something like that. And it'll make a ding noise or something yeah. like that for me so that I can take my break appropriately. And I get up and I actually step away from my computer because otherwise you're just, you're just continuing to do more work and then you don't use your break and then you get into your next set of work and you're not able to retain things as well. You don't, yeah. well, yeah. We, have, we have natural limits as people, as humans. And, and that usually happens around that one hour mark where you have to be taking a break. Yeah, that's so true. I find that like if I try to focus on something for too long or like if I'm really um, nervous about something, then it's like I can't switch off that part of my brain. You know, Mm -hmm. like I can't say I try as hard as I can to be like, okay, I'm going to give myself five minutes to like, you know, freak out or feel overwhelmed or whatever. And then it turns into like an hour or like two. And then I'm I'm sitting there and I'm just like, oh my God, that was so long. I've been spending so long thinking about this and I really, I haven't done anything else. Like uh, my whole yeah. time has been wasted. And then it's um, not a useful break. Yeah, exactly. And then I'm just like, that's not fun. And then I have to go back to whatever else <laughs> I'm doing. And then I'm just overwhelmed. Uh, no, I can, <laughs> I can completely understand what you're saying. And sometimes that's why I, I will make like, I love lists. So I will make like a list of fun things to do on my break. Or yeah. just like necessary things like, okay, I'm going to use that break because we all have things that we have to do. So yeah. I'll use this break to do my laundry, for example. And I'm, <laughs> uh-huh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go put my stuff down in the laundry and at least I'm doing a task. And so yeah. it distracts my brain from the other task I'm doing. So even if I'm doing something productive in my breaks, I'm still taking a break from the work I'm doing. So that way I'm recharging. Mm-hmm. So um, just while we're kind of coming to the end of this conversation, um, how do you, like, what what kind of work do you do with your clients? Like if somebody wanted to work with you, what kind of work would you put forward? What would you would it be the recommendation to use timers? Like, how do you kind of find your clients? How do they find you? What kind of, what does it look like to work in this JDM kind of mindset? Yeah, so usually I do like an initial consultation with my clients. And so that's really to evaluate what's going on in your life. What are your problem areas? What do you focus on? What's important? Mm -hmm you and then also it gives me an opportunity to just listen and hear like okay what do I think needs to be improved too and so then we come up with a plan together as far as like these are the strategies for improvement Um, and they're very solutions focused they're very forward focused it's not like therapy um, necessarily um, as far as cognitive behavioral therapy where you're talking a little more and it's not really like DBT therapy um, in that we're going through the DBT skills, but it is like DBT therapy in that we're going through useful skills that are going to be effective for you in changing uh-huh. your life. So it's all about that effectiveness piece. Um, we also go through some more specific 
JDM um, heuristics and skills. So we'll learn what JDM is in particular, and we can learn about your heuristics. So you have like an affect heuristic, an anchoring and adjustment heuristics, availability heuristics, and representative heuristics as your overarching kind of main categories. And we dive in deeper into what each of those looks like specifically, and then the cognitive biases that might result. Um, so you might have something like loss aversion, where um, perceiving okay. that losing something is like a greater utility than acquiring it. And we describe what that means and how it specifically affects you in your life. And we identify that that's one of the heuristics you're using and we target it and we work on fixing that together. So that's how we really work together. Amazing. And do you want to just plug in what your um, what your company is called and where people can reach out to you? Yeah, sure. So my company is called Detora DXM. And so that name's actually interestingly born out of um, some positive experiences I've had with dissociative psychedelics. So I dabble in there as well. Um, so I work as a psychedelic sitter with some clients. And oh, so, amazing. Yeah, it's really cool. That's been like a game changer for me, actually. So it's really cool. And what I use is actually a molecule called um, dextromethorphan, which is the same thing in cough syrup. And it's not like robo tripping, so it's like a little different. Okay. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I have an organic chemistry background too, so I play around. Oh with my it. goodness! Look at you, all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's my me. I like love everything. Um, yeah. But for the most part, I'm a I'm a health coach. I'm a career development advisor too. Okay. And I also do some business consulting. So I want okay. to help people like me take control of their own lives, their health, and their reality. And like that's what I've really been able to do. And so I work with many conditions in addition to borderline, um, and individuals who don't have a specific diagnosis. But so the comorbidities comorbidities in particular, I'm really thinking like ADHD, CPTSD, uh, mm -hmm. bipolar body behaviors are something that I personally struggle with, um, generalized yeah. anxiety disorder, major depression, and we talked a little bit about addictions. And so you can contact me um, and you can take a look at more information at um, www.datoradxn.com. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, etc., all with the same handle at Datora, D-A-T-U-R-A-D-X-M. And um, I'll share some links and information for you for anyone kind of interested in like um, I recently am published in the journal medical education about um, my experiences in um, medical education mm -hmm. as with borderline personality I can share some of those links with you um, if you wanted to share them with anyone. yeah I mean in the in this episode like underneath I'll put all your your Instagram handle and all that different stuff um, so that people can find you and I really appreciate this conversation, Carly, because I feel like it's really interesting to hear about, you know, different modalities of mm -hmm. learning more about ourselves, right? Yeah. Like, I think DBT has been held up in terms of like therapy mm -hmm. for borderline personality disorder. But the reality is that there's many different kind of ways that we can learn about ourselves and learn about our minds and really how we are in the world um sure. and I think 
it's great to have these conversations. So I really yeah. appreciate you. I appreciate the opportunity so, so much. And you're absolutely right. There's a lot out there in addition to DBT. And I love DBT. That like is like one of the foundations that worked for me. But I mm -hmm. did a couple other things in addition to that. Um, and those are the things that I've been exploring more recently that have really like rounded out the picture. So I appreciate this opportunity so much. It's been fantastic talking with you. <laughs> well, that's about it from us for today. Um, as I mentioned, all of Carly's links will be found in the description below. And also when I put it, when I put this episode out um, on my Instagram, you can find it there as well. Um, and I, I'm sure, you know, Carly, it sounds like we would have a very interesting conversation about the use of psychedelics because I have also <laughs> explored that myself and found that to be really helpful. <laughs> So I really appreciate you being here and that's about it from us. Yeah. You can say awesome. bye if you want. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye everyone. Bye.